save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Okay, well, let's uh, get started back with phone calls. Uh, Michelle, good morning. Did hit the right one there? Michelle, good morning. Hi, good morning. This is Michelle. Yes, good morning. How are you? (laughs) I'm great, thank you. Good. I have two questions for you. Okay. Um, The first question is um, regarding um, our grass. We live on 10 acres, and it's largely unimproved with nice native grasses and wildflowers. But there's an area in front of the house that we just have too much grass. Okay. Um, it's zoysia. It's real thick, and we do have a sprinkler system there. And we like to convert part of our, our grass um, to native grasses and wildflowers. And I just don't know what to, how to do it. Like I don't know if you have to pull out the grass or what what we need to do to get get that started. Um, which kind of zoysia is it? Is do you know if I it's a no is idea. it a is a thin leaf type or is it a broader leaf type? I think it's more on the thicker side. That's good because that's the worst soysia out there. That's jammer, and it is so susceptible to disease to diseases okay, okay. and things. Um, you know, it's pretty. It's pretty aggressive zoysia. I will say that it'll go up through the concrete and the um, anything that's kind of next to it. It's really pretty aggressive. So I'm not sure if it's really thin or thick. So it's what the builders put in, but I have no idea. What okay. It is. Well, basically, uh, one of the things you can do is just stop watering it. And, you know, we will get dry this summer. I can pretty much promise you that. It's been a very dry spring. And zoysia, at first it will go dormant, and then it will simply, you know, fold up and die. And that's one of the benefits of your native grasses is that they tolerate drought much better than any of our, let's just call them turf grasses. I hate to use the word improve because I'm not sure they all are that much. Um the the other option of course would be to just go through and scalp it and then put something like habiturf which you can buy as turf on top of it but uh if it, there's going to be a transitional period when where this area just doesn't look you know quite as good um as mm-hmm. your as your established uh grasses so i guess i would say you know do i want to have it really beautiful through easter are there any upcoming events or holidays and go on mowing it and taking care of it as you have but when you're ready to get rid of it just stop watering just overseed with your native grasses if there are areas that you want to have totally clear faster we're approaching the time of year that you could solarize some of those areas if you wanted to say totally get rid of it and then go back and Plant it with some of our better xeric plants like red yucca, damianita, uh, four nerve daisy, all those things that do just fine with little help from you. Uh, if you want okay. to just totally eliminate it, you could solarize. But that's if it's a 
very big patch at all. Um, that's probably more work and more expense than you really need to go it's, it's to. It's a pretty, it's a fairly large patch. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think I'd want to have, you know, that, that look. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just, down. I just would simply stop watering it. I would overseed okay. with, uh, some of the native grasses. And like I say, it will be a, it will be a transition, but, uh, I think it'll, the, the outcome will certainly be worth the effort. On the overseeding, when, what is the timing on that? So if we let it go dormant, you know, this summer it always gets so hot, and it, mm-hmm. it just it's so darn hot in July and such. So when would we overseed it with both uh, the native grasses and wildflowers? We need to wait till fall when it's really... You know, I probably would go ahead and do the seed in the summer. The wildflowers, I would probably wait until fall. We're going to have to watch the weather um, there's only one meteorologist that I trust at all, and he's smart enough time sometimes just to say we just don't know. And we are in a weak El Nino pattern. The meteorologists are very surprised that we have not gotten wetter because we usually do in an El Nino year, but we're moving back toward what they call Inso Neutral, which is between El Nino and La Nina. But they're saying there's a possibility we could move back into a stronger El Nino pattern. So just going to really have to watch the weather and see what the rainfall looks like. But I'm probably going to go ahead and overseed pretty soon with my native wildflower or my native grass seeds because they're just okay. going to basically sit there until the time is right for them to grow. The wildflowers, okay. I'm probably going to wait till September because the problem with wildflowers is if we get a rainy period right after you've planted the seed, they sprout and get started, and then it turns off dry, and they simply shrivel up and die. When you plant in September or so, uh, the chances of that happening are much lower. Usually they get started growing and then just maintain that right on through into the spring. So I'm going to start with keeping things drier immediately. I'm going to overseed with the native grasses at your earliest convenience, and then I'm going to hold off on the wildflowers. I would probably go ahead and buy your wildflower seed. Uh, The availability of seed has been low. Uh, the past year or so, I'm hopeful that with this being a little bit better year for wildflower production, that the seed will be a little bit more widely available. But I go ahead and get your seed in June or July when the new fresh crop seed comes on the market, but then hold off planting till probably September. This is great. Thank you so much. And I have one more question. Yes, ma'am. This one is totally unrelated. It's about um, squash. Okay. I feel like every, every year, no matter what I do, um, the butternut, delicata, all that kind of stuff gets some sort of fungal diseases toward the end of the season. Um, you, you know, usually it doesn't affect the outcome of the fruit, right. although the fall was pretty awful. Um, but other than that, is it worth it to try to do some sort of spray system, you know, every two weeks where you try to get, get you know, get rid of those fungal type diseases or is I, it just, just let it go? I wouldn't, I wouldn't spend a lot of effort, but here's what I would do. I would, uh, couple of times and of course butternut is a longer season squash uh, you know mm-hmm. zucchinis patty pans things are much shorter season but i would get out there and scatter whole ground cornmeal two or three times through okay. the growing season because that's going to grow your beneficial trichoderma fungus the place that a lot of those foliar diseases on the squash they come from when we get rain or watering literally splashes the spores up out of the soil and up onto the okay. plants if you've got your cornmeal down if you get your trichoderma working there's a lot less of that material to get splashed up onto the squash themselves. Well, I can definitely do that. That is a lot easier than spraying all those vines. I am into that. And okay, just, well, thank you so much. Well, it's my oh. pleasure, and uh, enjoy your enjoy your new uh, project out there. 
Okay, I will do. Thank thanks, Michelle. Goodbye. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. All right, it's Tony's turn. Good morning, Tony. Good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. My question is about viburnum. Okay. I uh, planted some uh, four of them about two weeks ago, and what I noticed yesterday is that they have these rusty copper-colored spots on them. Can you tell me what that might be and how I can uh, reverse that if possible? Can, can you tell me which type of viburnum you planted? Sandanqua, okay. Um, That is, it's a little bit of a fungus, but it is strictly stress-related. I would ignore it. Uh, Recognize that you're going to have to water thoroughly and fairly frequently on your newly planted sandanquas, but sandanqua is the toughest viburnum out there. This is strictly a nuisance. It is not life-threatening, and as those sandanquas start to get uh, established, it will be a thing of the past. If you want to spray with some corn water tea, if you want to spray with a little liquid garlic, you can certainly do so, but uh, uh, that is strictly stress-related. Just be sure you're doing your part keeping your new plants uh, thoroughly and deeply watered, and they will outgrow this little nuisance. Okay. Uh, what about root drench, that kind of thing? Will that help it you know, uh, kind of speed it up or just, like you said, just water? Well, if you want to add some uh, Medina's has to grow, if you're one of the good liquid fertilizers, uh, that's always going to be a good thing. little Garrett juice is always just fine, but uh, it's not going to be the highest priority on my to-do list. Okay. So I'll just, I'll just thoroughly water and we'll see what happens. You let me know how it works. All right. Thanks a lot, Bob. Thank you, Tony. You're welcome. Bye. Yes, sir. All right, let's talk to Shirley. Good morning, Shirley. And good morning, Bob. Good morning. Uh, On the north side of my house, for 30 years, I've had this beautiful crop of Asiatic jasmine. Okay. This year, it looked like it was dying. Mm -hmm. Is there a disease that you could get with Asiatic jasmine? I've never seen a disease with Asiatic jasmine. Asian jasmine this year for the first time got hit hard by that early freeze. What was it? End of October, 1st of November. And we had more freeze damage on that than I've seen the years has gotten in the low teens. And this set it back. Now, if you are watering thoroughly, if you're feeding regularly, it should outgrow any problems. I am not aware. I've I've seen some things on Algerian ivy, but not on Asian jasmine. How long has it been since you fertilized? Well, I... Probably a while. Oh, well, <laughs> okay. I, I say I, when, it, when it started looking bad, I did fertilize. And um, um, so some of it is coming back a little bit. And I was wondering if maybe it was lack of water and then that hard freeze. Yeah. Um, yep. I also, I have oak trees in the front, and they cover that with lots of leaves. Could mm-hmm. it smother some of that stuff? Not likely. You know, again, if you want to spray a little liquid molasses out there to speed up the breakdown of the oak leaves, if you want to spray a little Medina Plus to do the same thing, you certainly can. But right now, we are very dry. I mean, it's it, it's been a very dry spring, even though it's been a very pleasant spring. I would be watering that Asian jasmine thoroughly on a weekly basis um, I would be using a good dry granular fertilizer, whether it's Nature's Creation or Growing Green by Medina or Texas Tea by Meister Grow. Uh, any of those uh, would be a very good idea. Uh, if you really want to speed it up, you can go with a liquid 
uh, fertilizer and do it every couple of weeks. But at this point, I'm just going to make certain that uh, it's getting thoroughly and deeply watered every week or 10 days, uh, that it's got some nutrients, and I think it's going to come out just fine for you. Oh, good. Now, there are some bare spots along the edges, so I got a couple flats of it. How uh, far apart do I need to plant those, and what can I put other than fertilizer uh, on the hole or what? I would, uh, we normally plant Asian jasmine about one foot center to center. And um, again, I would put some dry fertilizer down, not necessarily in the holes, but I just take a few handfuls of good organic dry fertilizer and sprinkle over the area. Uh, you're going to have to water more frequently, probably over two or three days when you first set these little plants out, because obviously the root system is confined to a very small area now. So these areas are probably going to be hand watering. But uh, you know the saying about jasmine, the first year it sleeps, the second year it creeps, the third year it leaps. So (laughs) patience is going to be a tough virtue to have here because, you know, you obviously want it thick yesterday. And (laughs) only way that's going to happen is to go out and spend a ton of money and, you know, buy bigger plants, gallon containers or whatever. But if you put your 4-inch on one-foot centers and keep up with your watering, um, it will take off and grow. I can promise you that it's not going to be as fast as you want it to be, but it, uh, there's just, you know, we just can't speed up mother nature. Only way we can beat her, like I say, is to, uh, uh, buy much bigger plants, have to dig much bigger holes and spend a lot more money doing it. So I think you're on the right track, but just be prepared. This is going to take a little time. Yes, I'm sure of that. Well, gosh, that's what I thought it might've been that or that early freeze, but and lack of water. Yep. Now, do you have a lot of vegetables down there still? Oh, my gosh, yes. Yes, okay. we've got a huge selection of eggplant, selection of peppers. Uh, I'm sad to say we don't have any shishitos today because I look for some for me to take home yesterday. I'm sure we'll have more of those. But uh, we've got, oh, man, we've got 10 varieties of peppers, lots and lots of tomatoes, all sorts of vegetable seed. And for people who are anxious, uh, we do, I think, have some cucumbers and squash actually up and growing. Now, in my opinion, it's still a little early for okra. I'm not going to plant okra for another couple of weeks. But, man, just about everything else is there and ready to go in the ground. Okay, well, I'm I'm like zucchini and cucumbers and things like that. So you do have that? We have the plants and we have the seed as well. If you're just doing a few by the plants, if you're doing a very big area, they grow so easily from seed, save your money and spend it on more jasmine. Okay, well, that sounds wonderful. I will be back down. I got some um, oh, you know, nematodes yeah. uh, just this past week, and I'm going to put them out this morning. So. Very good. I was hoping it was going to rain, but it doesn't look too much like rain right well, now. It certainly does, and they've dropped the rain chances from what was 100% two days ago to 20% today. It's going to be windy, so be sure that you water before and after you put those nematodes out. I'll do that. Okay, well, thank you, Bob. You're welcome, Shirley. Thank you very much. To the phone lines, this is uh, Ray's up next. Good morning, Ray. Good morning, Bob. Morning, thanks sir. Thanks my call. Yeah, thanks for calling. Hey, I'm calling you, uh, calling today about chiggers. Okay, um, we haven't, we're up, uh, in hill country. Right. And, uh, haven't had them bite us yet, <laughs> but we're having the grandkids up next weekend and I'm concerned about them. And I wanted to get out and do something around the house so that they could get out and run around. 
look um, look for some cedar oil. There is a, there's a liquid product out there called Cedar Side, but um, the you know first of all, uh, getting them out of the grass, getting them controlled in the grass is obviously a real good start. Old friend, uh, in fact, his daughter was in the nursery this past week, named Bodie, managed all of the uh, little league fields up in uh, the Bandera area, and Bodie said he sprayed. You know, the fields about two to three times a year with just dilute cedar oil, and he had zero problems with chiggers. And, you know, little league kids are out there flopping down in the grass, making their diving catches and all that fun stuff. And Bodie said it totally took care of his chigger problem uh, just two, three times a year to spray with cedar oil. So that would be a good start. Um, there are a couple of uh, good DEET-free alternatives out there as far as personal repellents. Uh, we've always liked the cactus juice. There's another one called Murphy's Naturals. Uh, there's still another one called No Mosquitoes, and anything stops mosquitoes is going to ch- stop chiggers. But uh, um, that's what I would do. I would spray with the, as, at a minimum, I would spray with cedar oil, and then if you want to give the kids a little personal repellent without DEET, uh, that would just keep you doubly safe. Okay. Um, I've looked around a little bit for cedar oil, and there's different, uh, of course, different brands, and not what I expect would be different concentrations. I did find something that is claiming to be pure cedar oil, and I was wondering what you would suggest as a dilution rate. If I were getting pure, well, it's probably not going to be pure cedar oil, but it's going to be close. Uh, if it's really concentrated, I'd be using about an ounce per gallon. And remember, this is a case where you don't have to soak the soil. You're just given a good foliar coating, so it goes a long, long way. Yes, there are lots of other dilutions. The folks that want to make it look cheap are selling you a diluted product. Uh, the ones who want to enable you to cover a bigger area. Um, but I'd, I'd be looking, if you're getting fairly concentrated cedar oil, I think about an ounce per gallon. And uh, how much do you think a gallon, one ounce per gallon, would cover? A gallon of spray should cover, oh, golly, I'm thinking um, a quart of spray. You know, you're, you're using a hose-in sprayer probably, and right, uh, right. so you're putting out a quarter of time. I'm going to say a gallon of it is probably going to do 2,500 square feet. Okay. All right. Can you take another question? Of course. All right. Uh, it's on our property. We have uh, real thin soil. Mm-hmm. We're lucky to find, you know, nine inches of soil. <laughs> That's a lot of soil. Yeah, yeah. But you know, when we're planting trees, we don't have to go far before we find caliche. Right. And in uh, planting trees in caliche, um, if I'm bu- if I'm putting in well adapted trees or mm-hmm. natives do i really have to worry about them being down into the caliche they if will got maybe six to nine inches of top of soil above it yeah that's a really excellent question um the thing that you want to be careful of is that you are not digging down into the caliche when you plant them because caliche by its nature holds a lot of water 
And so if I'm planting, I even if I have to berm up an area, even if I have to create a bit of a raised bed, I'm going to dig down through my topsoil to the caliche layer, and I'm not going to go any lower than that. And if this means planting your trees a little bit higher, so be it. This is basically what we did at our nursery because we had a high water table at that time. didn't have anything to do with caliche. We found out the hard way when we planted some trees deeper, and they promptly died because they drowned. We came and actually set the root balls of the trees on top of the soil, <clears throat> built a little bed around them, and then let the trees simply put their roots wherever they found good soil to grow in. And those trees absolutely thrived from day one. And um, so that's that's the only thing I would tell you to be cautious of is be sure you're not digging a hole that will, you know, keep water standing for too long. I'm going to basically plant on top of the caliche layer. I'm going to raise it up a little bit if I have to. Those trees are going to grow their roots laterally, and they will find the pockets of soil and uh, establish themselves just fine. Now, I'm not going to plant a real thirsty tree, and I'm certainly not going to plant an East Texas tree, but if you go on with uh, oaks and elms and escarpment cherries and, you know, the things that are happy in our hill country, um, I see no problem at all with getting a, a real nice canopy established out there, right? All right, well. I've got a few mistakes out there I'll probably have to go out and address, but uh, <laughs> there's not been too many of them so far. So well, uh, you know, to uh, uh, it, it, we all learn by doing, and if the trees are doing well, it simply means that they have overcome that issue, but um that that's the biggest problem with caliche is it just it 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 keeps so much water in it and of course water doesn't kill anything but lack of oxygen does and when it holds so much moisture that you get no oxygen through the soil that's devastating to tree roots and uh most everything else but you plant on top of it let the trees seek their own area now the trees that you already have around you do you have some big oaks do you have some fairly decent trees out there Oh yeah, we've got hundreds of live oak. Yeah, and see that um, what that I've planted so far is Monterey oak, and I did plant one little gem, but I plant I did burn her up because the soil was so thin where I yeah. planted her. I bought a yard of soil, put it around her. <laughs> That's going to make her happy. But work on getting some diversity out there. Plant some Lacey's oaks. Plant some uh, cedar elm. Plant escarpment cherry if you can find it. Uh, I just want to see a variety of uh, trees in that overall canopy. Great. Will do, Bob. Thanks for your help. You're welcome, Ray. Thank you. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. All right. It's going to be Beverly and James and David and Betty. And Beverly is first. Good morning, Beverly. Good morning. Good morning. You? I'm good. How are you this morning? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Good. Um, I have a question about um, grapes. Okay. Do those uh, root flares get exposed also like with trees they should be shrubs yeah they certainly okay. should be okay i'm i'm in the process I've, I've learned that all of my fruit trees are well they're choking <laughs> yep yep <laughs> well it's so, it's you know a problem when they come to you from the nursery already too deeply in the containers and unfortunately mm -hmm. uh, i we're starting to hear i mean the arborists are now realizing this and just 
Uh, everybody's united on this subject now. I think for a few times they said Howard Garrett's crazy. It's not that important. Well, all of a sudden they're recognizing that it is probably the single most important thing we do. And that means a lot of us have to go back, and me included, and expose root flares on things that got buried too deeply. So uh, you're yes. in good company. I'll just put it that way. Well, good. <laughs> I, I feel honored. Well. Um, and I do have another question. Of course, nope. I am a klutz when it comes to this, but um, I have gotten Tanglefoot mm-hmm. on the trunks of some of my trees. Right. And where, you know, it's on the trunk, it, it kind of oozed down. Uh-huh. And um, how can I remove that? from the trunk well it's not highly toxic in a little spot here and there is not an issue uh and i wouldn't even worry about it uh now places where people just went and dabbed a whole big circle of it around we started seeing some cankers we started seeing a little bit of abnormal growth but a little here a little there if 90 percent of it's still on your protective coating don't worry about the little bit that eased down below um, you could almost okay. certainly, I think you'll find alcohol would be a pretty good solvent, but you've got plenty of other okay. things to do. Exposing those root flares okay. is a lot more important than getting a few little dots of Tanglefoot off. Okay. Well, I wasn't sure if alcohol would hurt, you know, the the bark itself. Well, woody trees, not an issue at all. I certainly wouldn't put it on uh you know, my tomato plants, but it's not going to be an yeah. issue on tomato plants. So, no, don't worry about that, but, but don't worry about a little tanglefoot here and there. It's just not that big a deal. Okay. And if there's a lot of tanglefoot? <laughs> then just get off what you can. Um, you know, just, just wipe off as much as you can. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're stopping ants, you're going to slather it on there, you know, a quarter of an inch thick. Uh, if it's on the trunk, even the bare trunk, an eighth of an inch thick or a sixteenth of an inch thick, if you've wiped away everything you can, I'm just not going to worry about it. Now, if it is a new tree with real soft, green, smooth bark, yeah, get everything you can off of there. But if this tree's got woody bark on it, woody bark is just basically dead tissue waiting to be sloughed off. Uh, just stop worrying. Okay. As usual, common sense. <laughs> well, <don't> <laughs> common sense isn't real common, and it's usually acquired. What is it Will Rogers said? Uh, said good judgment comes mainly from experience, which comes mainly from bad judgment. <laughs> that's the story of my life. Well, I think that's becoming my life here. <laughs> well, you get out and enjoy, and uh, you call well, anytime uh, we have. I have two more questions. Oh, okay, go, go for it. Okay. Uh, a good soil mix for succulents. I... I just they make a lot of different mixes i'm just going Mm -hmm. to reduce the amount of compost i'm going to add a little bit more lava sand i uh you know might even add a little bit of decayed granite to it uh but succulents in in a non-based a non-peat based soil you don't have to change a whole lot most succulents are going to be happy in a non-peat moss-based soil. Now, all the miracle Grove soils and things like that that are all peat, they're fine at first, but then when that peat starts breaking down, you've got lots of problems. So if you're going with a non-peat-based soil, you're probably fine as is. If you want to fortify it with a little bit of uh, lava, maybe a little bit of granite sand, those will be just fine. Okay. And one last question. I... Um fell in love with an orchid and so i want to know the proper way to take care of it (laughs) can you tell me what kind of orchid 
I think it's a phalaenopsis. Okay, those are certainly the most common ones. Uh, in your home, it wants a very bright window. There's no such thing as too much light inside. If it's out on okay. your patio, a little morning sun is fine. Uh, just no hot afternoon sun. I think the most important thing, as soon as it finishes blooming, um, mm-hmm. r- repot it. Get all okay. that. Most everything's coming out in sphagnum moss now. Get all that off. Repot it into a good fir bark mix. Um, you'll need to water enough that the plant never gets totally dry. I'd be feeding it every couple of weeks with a good liquid, has to grow fertilizer or something like that. And uh, beyond that, treat it just like any house plant. But the repotting as soon as it's finished blooming is, I think, the single most important thing you'll do. And be sure it gets plenty of light. Outside, it can take some morning sun, but no hot afternoon. Inside, the brighter the window, the better. All right. And, the, and watering it... Uh, Flood it when you, you always say water thoroughly. Right. <laughs> and I'm finding that on my phalaenopsis and fir bark, I'm watering about every third day. Oh, okay. All right. Well, very good. Thank you so much. Just realize orchids are highly addictive, and it's I, not I my know. fault if you get started, and pretty soon it's just out of hand. But uh, <laughs> just consider yourself warmed and have, a, have just a wonderful weekend, Beverly. It's good to talk to you. Well, thank you. You too. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Let's talk to James. Good morning, James. Morning, Bob. How you doing? You know, it's just another spring day out there. I'm not looking forward to the potential of actually having some frost up in the hill country this evening. But Easter's late. When Easter's late, we get that little late chill, but it sure does feel good in the mornings. I was in the hoop house yesterday and noticed that the soil temperature was not even 70 degrees. Isn't that amazing? That's, yeah. Um. I've been waiting to uh, things to warm up to plant my uh, watermelon seed because I uh, that's the only thing I don't usually transplant. Uh huh. I think the watermelons need a uh, you know a, a tap root. I I would agree with you on that. I well that in beans I don't ever transplant beans. I don't think uh, any legumes transplant well, but uh, uh, watermelons I think you're probably better as you say just direct seed into the ground. Willite, let me make a plug for Will. Willite's got a watermelon seed. It's a red, uh, oh, 20, 22-pound mm-hmm. uh, watermelon that I like. It's called the Diablo. It's a good pollinator for all your uh, your seedless. All oh, very good. Yeah. Diablo, I'll have to remember that. Yeah, the seed's coming in. I can't wait. Um, I called to ask you a question about the... Uh, uh, praying mantis, they're always laying their cases on mm-hmm. my tomato cages. Yeah. Like every one out there has got a case on there. Oh, that's good. How do you good. tell if those little uh, uh, buggers have hatched out of that case? Get out a magnifying glass. You will see each of those little individual cells. You'll actually see a little kind of an oval hole in the top when they have fully come out, but I can't see it. I've my eyesight's still pretty good, but uh, I have to get a magnifying glass out and, and study to see if they've chewed their way out and come out. Because they pretty much all come out at the same time. You don't have to go over the entire case. If you start seeing, you know, three or four of them have been opened, uh, they're pretty much all gone. Well, I carry a 10X uh, loop. Yeah. So uh, what part of the case do I look at? The top. 
look right up along that top ridge, and uh, you'll you'll start seeing little holes in there where they've uh, chewed their way out. Oh boy, that's that's good advice. I'm going to check that out. There, uh, for some reason, they like to to put those egg cases on those tomato cages. I, I don't know, but I don't care. I guess uh, they somehow, Mama Praying Mantis thought they're going to be plenty for those babies to eat, and that's a good thing because they'll eat each other if they're not finding the aphids and all those other little critters. But uh, yeah, those uh, you know, we we put out you know when we put out high praying mantis we're not putting out the natives and consequently they don't reproduce as well but our native praying mantis uh gosh if you're not doing anything to hurt them you're gonna have a garden full of them so that's a good thing yeah they're just cool yeah hey, let me thank you for uh promoting a mound planting of shrubs and trees you know my hero uh professor whitcomb yeah did a lot of research on that uh back in the day and it works really well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's just always better when in doubt. Plant a little high instead of too low, and uh, uh, you see if you can't get Carl feeling a little bit more about organic fertilizers. That's The man's a genius. Well, that's never going to happen. Well, I know it, but between his root maker technology and his crepe myrtle breeding, uh, that man should go down in the anals as uh, one of the best modern-day horticulturists out there. That's kind of the way I feel about it. Uh, when you guys do your mound planting, all the boys, and they tell me, and every chance I get when I do a mound planting, I like to fracture the soil right out underneath the planting with a uh, digging fork mm-hmm. in, you know, 15 or 16 different uh, locations, and that'll get things going a little bit faster. If you yeah, you just, you marrying guys can do that. Those of us sitting on a bed of limestone break the tines off our digging forks, but where you can do it is a real good idea. I've got a digging bar with a pretty pointy point on it. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, well, digging bar, yes. Spading fork, uh, garden fork, no. But uh, that old iron idiot stick, as my grandmother called it, that's that's my principal deal, digging tool. For me, a shovel, shovel's just something to take the dirt out of the hole after you've loosened it up with that digging bar. One more question. Um, I got a five-gallon can uh, full of uh, sour orange running through the hammer mill and uh, really got the seeds out fast. So I've got five or six hundred... Uh, trays good and uh, be your rootstock yeah with the rootstock yeah um my reading tells me that forest trees need 50 degrees to 60 degrees to germinate so the the greenhouse is out uh i was just gonna park the the cart up underneath the uh the oak tree for germination to get a little bit cooler temperature. Well, I many trees maybe so i'm not sure if that's true uh if that's true on uh, citrus or not, I well, it's true with forest trees. That's why yeah, I'm asking. Yeah, yeah, no, that. I think citrus are going to be more tropical trees, and I'd I'd have them in the greenhouse. One hundred and twenty-eight in there, man. <laughs> I, you know, uh, where do you see the happiest citrus in Texas? You see it down in the Rio Grande Valley, and uh, I'm sure the soil temperatures temperatures approach that. But James, if you got all that much seed, try some of it both places. I think what you're going to find is your outdoor seed's just going to be a little slower to germinate, but uh, you're going to get plenty of rootstock started. So uh, I'd I'd do a little experiment here and see which works best, and I'll bet you it'll be the greenhouse. Okay, we'll do we'll do it your way and and see what blows up. I'll look forward to hearing back from you. 
Thanks, Bob. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. All right. The order changed just a little bit up there. Betty's still first, and it's going to be Leo and Jan and Judy. Good morning, Betty. Good morning. I have a tree question. Okay. I have a red oak that's about three feet in circumference. Oh, and, diameter. Oh, diameter. Okay. And, Big difference. Um, yeah. It's, it's um, on rock, of course, since mm-hmm. we're in Pipe Creek on a hill. It has a wound that has been um, is past the bark, but it has been... Um, Sealed, not sealed over, but the tree has has made it. Uh, no, put callus over it. it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Is there anything since it's a very beautiful tree we want to keep? Is there anything we need to do, like fill it with something, or no? You know, I had this talk with uh, David Vaughn, who's the best arborist I know, and they've actually done research. And if um, even a hollow tree, if it has like three inches of trunk left. It is like 95% as strong as it was before it got the cavity. So we only make things worse when we try to fill the cavities. The current thinking from the people that know is uh, just leave them alone. Don't be trying to drill or drain. Once a tree has compartmentalized is a word that they use. Once it has compartmentalized the damage, um, there's not a thing that you can or should do for the tree. It's taking care of itself. Now, Red oaks are not the longest live trees in the hill country, and they are not the strongest trees. It doesn't mean that you might potentially not have a bit of storm damage at some point, but you would not gain anything. You would not make the tree stronger or better by filling it. Okay, great. Even if we've had a bee, we had a beehive in there at one time, evidently, <laughs> pretty high up. No, but no. Again, okay. if 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 it still has, and if this tree's three feet in diameter. I mean, this is a big tree, and uh, yes, it's it it's got well over three inches of solid core trunk all the way around, so it's very close to being completely as strong as it was before it had that cavity. Oh, great. Well, thank you so much for your time. Always a pleasure. I don't suppose you've gotten any of that promised rain up in Pipe Creek that they kept telling well, us was going to happen? No, we have a drizzle. Yep. That's, uh, I had a little few drops on my car when I left early this morning, but, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Like my old buddy, uh, Alton Grimm used to always say as well, every day we're one day closer to that next good rain. So, (laughs) well, I hope so. You and me both. Betty, get out and have a great weekend and we'll talk again. You Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Yeah, David, uh, we've had a lot of discussions. There's been a lot of research done, and uh, there are a lot of things you can do to make a tree stronger. Don't cut all those low limbs off, and uh, with a hollow tree, basically just don't worry about it. you make the situation worse rather than better if you start drilling and filling and things like that. So just let it be.